You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet Welcome is on the phone. So for the podcast is Wednesday, November 3rd, 2021. People, hope everybody is having a great day. Hope everybody is having a great week. And I hope you're an Alabama fan because it is great to be an Alabama fan. Uh, The first college football playoff rankings come out. Bama is rolling in recruiting. So a lot of Bama talk on today's show. But here is the rundown what we're going to talk about. We are going to start with the college football playoff rankings. Yes, I believe it's an abomination that Alabama is ranked number two. I will get into reaction. I kind of had four kind of marquee reactions to the college football playoff ranking. From there... We will talk a little bit about that weird Dan Mullen press conference as he continues to dig himself deeper and deeper with the media, with the Florida fan base. And I'm starting to wonder what the end result of all this is for Dan Mullen. From there, we'll take a break and talk a little college hoops. Now, I will say this with college hoops. The season is now a week away. And my plan is this, is I am going to talk a little college hoops on today's show. I want to talk Kofi Coburn, and I also want to talk Alabama cleaning up on the recruiting trail under Nate Oates. Um, But also, I do want to mention that next Tuesday, I will do a special bonus episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast that is all college basketball. I will uh, give my national championship pick, my preseason top five, or my preseason final four, my national player of the year. Uh, That way, we don't have to force college basketball into Friday's show, into Monday's show, reacting from college football. Uh, So look out for that. Normal show on Friday, normal show on Monday, next Tuesday college basketball preview with Aaron Torres and most importantly uh Tuesday night Champions Classic I will be reacting to that on next Wednesday's show a week from today we will have reaction to college basketball but with that said let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day is that the first college football playoff rankings were released and for people who forget for people who don't remember the cycle this is all pretty simple pretty self-explanatory Every single year around this time, the people that are in charge of picking the four teams for the college football playoff, they start putting out a weekly poll. And on the one hand, 
it really doesn't matter, right? It all sorts itself out over the final four or five weeks of the season. It's all a little bit for TV and for song and dance and kind of just to create interest in the college football playoff. It's so guys like me will yell and scream about it. But what I would say is the first poll was released on Tuesday. And I do believe that this year it was genuinely important unlike in years past, okay? So in some years, I do think that it is just kind of a TV show and you kind of know who's going to be there and it's kind of for song and dance. And like I said, it all sorts itself out in the end. But I did believe that there were two reasons that this year the first poll was really important and was really going to reflect what the narratives were potentially for the next five or so weeks until we get that final four on the first week of of December after the college football playoff final four is announced. The first one, Where is Cincinnati, right? Cincinnati is top five in every uh, human poll, the AP poll, the, 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 the coaches poll. They're top five, but where are they in the playoff committee's eyes? Because if they start too far down... One, they can't make up enough ground, and two, it obviously let, puts it in a situation where, of course, other teams can eventually surpass them if they get enough good wins. So one, where is Cincinnati? And two, Oregon and Ohio State. So both teams have one loss. Ohio State's loss is to Oregon. Oregon's loss is much worse, but again... With each team having one loss, what does it matter or or who is ahead of them? Because it does matter. Because if Oregon was ranked behind Ohio State coming into Tuesday night, coming out of Tuesday night, there was essentially no way that they could realistically ever jump Ohio State because they're not going to have games as good as Ohio State's down the stretch. So to me, those were two very important storylines. We got our top 10, and let's talk about it a little bit. First of all, let's rip through the top 10. This is the college football playoff poll. And again, this is always subject to change. This will change over the coming weeks as games are played. But here is the top 10 according to the College Football Playoff Committee. Number 10 is Notre Dame. Number 9 is undefeated Wake Forest. Number 8, the first real shocker, was Oklahoma all the way down at number 8. Number 7 was Michigan coming off the loss to Michigan State. Number 6 was Cincinnati. Number 5 was Ohio State. Number 4 was Oregon. Number three was Michigan State, and number two was Alabama. Number one, in the least surprising news ever, was Georgia. So let's get into it. Let's break it down. I basically have four kind of big takeaways, okay? And on the one hand, I know what you guys are going to say. None of it matters. It'll all work itself out. It'll all figure itself out. Torres, don't yell and scream. Well, as I've told you for years, my old radio partner, Arnie Spanner, used to say, the show is tonight. Well, this happened tonight. And I have to react tonight to what has happened. And let me start with my four big takeaways from the College Football Playoff Committee release. The first one, Alabama at number two is an absolute abomination, okay? And if you want proof that SEC bias exists, if you want proof that uh, Alabama, there is favoritism there, look no further than Alabama being at number two. As I joked on Twitter, my sister always used to say, mom loves you more than me. And I said, that's ridiculous. That is impossible. That, there's no world where mom loves, you more, loves me more than she loves you. She loves us all equally. Well, now I know what she's talking about because Bama has no business being number two in the college football playoff poll. And on the one part, again, I get it. None of it really matters. If Alabama wins out, they are going to the college football playoff. That would obviously involve them beating Auburn. It would involve them beating Georgia in the college football or in the SEC championship game. If they lose to Georgia, 
if they lose to Auburn, they might not even go to the SEC championship game. And if they lose to Georgia, if they take a second loss, they probably won't go to the college football playoff at all. At the same time, what I would also say is this. The college football playoff committee's job is to rank teams right now based on who they are and where they should be. It should not matter what your name is. It should not matter what you did last year. It shouldn't matter what the recruiting rankings are. And it shouldn't matter what Vegas says you would do on a neutral field to anybody else. And I am just telling you, right now, there is no way that Alabama should be number two in college football, okay? So let me run through Alabama's resume right now as we speak. Alabama's resume is as follows. They beat a really bad Miami team early in the season. Ironically, Miami's playing better now than they they were back when they played Alabama. Alabama ripped off, wins against Mercer, wins against Southern Miss in the out-of-conference. They beat Florida by two on the road at the Swamp. They were outscored 26-10 over the final three quarters of that game. Unimpressive win, hold on for dear life. As it turns out, Florida State, by the way, is currently 4-4. On top of that, they beat Ole Miss. Good win, solid win, whatever. Lane Kiffin coached them out of that game. We all know it. Lose to Texas A&M, beat Mississippi State, beat Tennessee in a game where it was a one-possession game early in the fourth quarter. And so let me say that again to explain why I am frustrated that Alabama is number two in this college football playoff poll. They beat three teams that aren't very good out of conference, the best one being Miami. Miami is actually playing better after De'Aaron King got hurt of late. They beat Florida by two in a game they needed a goal line stand. They beat Ole Miss in a game where Lane Kiffin gave them the game. And they struggled against Tennessee that had a quarterback that was essentially playing on one leg in Hendon Hooker. They have played one game that I would say is a complete wire-to-wire domination. That was against Mississippi State. Good for them. And other than that, Their resume is bleh. So I already know what you're thinking. Now, Torres, what does it even matter? And by the way, who would you even have ahead of Alabama? Why are you so worked up? If they lose, it won't matter. That is true. But at the same time, what you have done on the field has to matter, or it should matter, or it is the right thing that it matters. And I don't think that's being taken into account when it comes to Alabama. If we're just talking about strictly on-the-field resume, Michigan State should no doubt, in my mind, be ranked ahead of Alabama. Michigan State has a top 10 win. By the way, Michigan State's best out-of-conference win was at Miami. They beat, uh, they beat Miami just as much on the road in a true road game as Alabama did beat Miami on a neutral field. Beyond that, I would also say unpopular opinion. We're going to talk about Cincinnati in a minute. I would have Cincinnati ranked ahead of Alabama. Not to say that if Alabama runs the table, they can't pass them, but it's supposed to matter what has happened on the field so far. Cincinnati's win at Notre Dame is significantly more impressive than anything Alabama has done. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. You can debate it. You can argue it. I would say if it's strictly about eye test, I would put Ohio State over Alabama. I think Ohio State, for the most part, since they've lost to Oregon, has looked like a much more complete football team. That loss to Oregon by Ohio State lit a fire under them, and they have been awesome since. Ohio or, uh, Alabama loses to Texas A&M. Two weeks later, they're struggling to put away Tennessee. So I don't want to yell. I don't want to scream. I don't want to keep going, and I do understand that it is going to play themselves out. But in my opinion, I do not believe that it was the right decision to put Alabama at number two. At some point, they may get there. At some point, they may prove it. If they go to Auburn, they play Auburn, and they beat them by 30, that changes the conversation. I get that. But what we have to do right now is take what we know 
And you cannot argue that Alabama should be ranked ahead of Michigan State. And I will argue they should not be ranked ahead of Cincinnati. Speaking of Cincinnati, let's get to them. They are my number two takeaway. And again, I, I thought it was a really interesting and really important dynamic where Cincinnati was ranked early in this poll. You start to rank them 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, you're pro- they're probably not going to be able to get enough wins to pass them. And so in many ways, I think being ranked number 5 for Cincinnati actually is a good thing. Now, I will also say it's a little bit of a disappointing thing as well. In terms of the good thing, I've seen people point it out, this is the highest that Cincinnati, the, the highest that any group of five team, non-Power 5 team, has been ranked in the initial playoff poll, so that certainly does help their cause. But what I would also say is, first of all, they're undefeated. Second of all, again, their win at Notre Dame is better than anything on, I would argue, Georgia's resume. I'm not saying they should be ahead of Georgia because Georgia's awesome. Love my dogs. How about my dogs? <laughs> Love my dogs. Not saying they should be ranked ahead of Georgia, but I would argue it's more impressive than anything on Georgia's resume. It's more impressive than anything on Ohio State's resume who's ahead of them. And it's more impressive than anything on Alabama's resume ranked ahead of them. So one, they actually have a resume that warrants being even higher than number five, okay? And that's the big thing because I don't understand how you can be a Cincinnati fan and even at number five, not be frustrated. And it's for two very specific reasons. The first one, it's because for years, Last year, if you remember, and I'll never forget because I did the rants on these shows, I, every, every week Cincinnati, they wouldn't play. They'd get dropped down. They'd win. They'd get dropped down. It didn't matter what they did. And last year, the committee had the get-out-of-jail-free card, the excuse of saying, well, they didn't play anybody out of conference that mattered because, of course, last year there were essentially no out-of-conference games. Well, this year, they did exactly what the committee wanted. They went to Notre Dame, got a win against Notre Dame, That is a top 10 win. That is not my opinion. That is a fact according to the committee. Again, Cincinnati's win at Notre Dame is more impressive than anything on Alabama's resume or anything on Ohio State's resume. So why are those two teams ranked ahead of Cincinnati? The other thing that would concern me if I'm a Cincinnati fan, and again, if you want to argue the totality of what Ohio State has done is so much more impressive, I'm kind of having, I should mention, kind of having trouble buying that. I mean, at least Alabama has wins over Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Ohio State's best win is against Penn State, which, uh, you know, Penn State ain't looking too good right now. You know, you look at, at, at where these rankings are, Ohio State beat Rutgers, Indiana, and Maryland. They're not in this top 25 anywhere. Penn State isn't in this top 25 anywhere. So right now, Ohio State doesn't even have a single win. So one, you can't even argue that Ohio State deserves it because they play in the Big Ten. Maybe in two or three weeks if they beat Michigan and Michigan State, but right now I don't believe they deserve to be ranked ahead of Cincinnati. Cincinnati went out, beat Notre Dame, did what they told you to do. The second reason I would be concerned if I'm a Cincinnati fan, and this is where I would be terrified. The committee, yeah, it's kind of like a a carrot right in front of the nose. Oh, you're ranked number five. You're ranked number five. Good for you guys. Just keep winning. You'll have yourself a chance to play yourselves in. Just one problem. You can already see the scenario where the committee is kind of angling to make sure that they stay out. And what do I mean by that? The committee has already kind of set up things, checks and balances, barriers, to make sure that teams can either surpass them that are behind them, or more importantly, the teams in front of them can even lose and still stay in front of them. What do I mean by that? Let's take Michigan State. They're at number three. Think they should be number two? They're number three, whatever. Imagine if Michigan State, two weeks from now, plays Ohio State. I think it's actually three weeks, but you get the point. They play Ohio State and they lose. Ohio State's ranked number five. Cincinnati's or Michigan State's ranked number three. And Michigan State takes the L. 
guess what happens? Now the committee can say, Cincinnati, 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 we know the team in front of you lost, but look at who they lost to. We can't really move them behind you because, come on, come on, look at what they just did. They just lost to Ohio State. Ohio State's good. Remember, we told you they're ahead of them. Kind of the same with Ohio State. In theory, Ohio State could lose to Michigan State. It could still be seen as a good loss. I don't know if I believe that. But then they're in Alabama, by the way, the same. On top of that, what I would also say, you can kind of see the scenario. Can't you kind of see it where the teams behind Cincinnati can move ahead of them? You know who I'm specifically talking about? Oklahoma. I think the committee, they certainly did no Oklahoma no favors, putting them at number eight. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you look at the top 25, you know who's right outside the top 25 or outside of the top 10, excuse me? Well, let's take a quick look. You want to know who's right outside that top 10? Number 11 is Oklahoma State. Number 12 is Baylor. Oklahoma is on a bye this week. You know who they play next week? At Baylor. You know where they close the season? At Oklahoma State. If Oklahoma wins those two games, guess who moves ahead of Cincinnati? And I'm not even saying that it's unjustified. All I'm saying is this. Five is kind of that, again, that carrot dangling in front of them. Just win. You'll be fine. No, Cincinnati's going to need some help along the way. One, best thing that can happen. First of all, best thing that can happen for them, Notre Dame needs to keep winning. If Notre Dame finishes 11-1, and one, that is the best thing that can happen to Cincinnati. Two, definitely need Oregon to lose. Three, need some chaos in the Big Ten where there's only going to be one Big Ten team good enough to get in. If Ohio State or if Michigan State loses to Ohio State but wins out and finishes 11 and 1, you could see the scenario Michigan State gets in at number 4 and then 3 they definitely need Alabama to lose. So I don't want to belabor the point. We'll talk about this in the coming weeks, but I'm just saying Cincinnati, I think on paper, oh, they're number 5. That's so great. Good for you. Little pat on the head. No, 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 no. Be careful if you're a Cincinnati fan. Watch your back. Committee's out to get you. Let me also say this though. I'm all, I'm all over the place today, by the way. <laughs> Let me say this about the committee. If I'm going to crush them because I disagree with Alabama at number two, and if I'm going to crush them because I disagree that Cincinnati should be number five, I would have had Cincinnati at number three behind Georgia and Michigan State. Then I also must say this. I do give the committee credit for putting Ohio State behind Oregon in the initial rankings. Now, if Ohio State runs the table, do I, do I really believe that Oregon is going to stay ahead of them? I don't know that I do. But this was the right move. And it's really funny because on my Fox Sports radio show on Saturday night, my partner and I, Jason Martin, started talking about this. And initially, I didn't even think it was a conversation. I kind of just said, hey, yeah, when those, when those rankings come out, what, where, where would you have Ohio State and Oregon? And in my head, I'm like, you got, I mean, you got to have Oregon ahead of Ohio State, right? And he kind of said, well, I mean, you obviously have to have Ohio State ahead of Oregon, right? And I said, really? And he said, well, yeah, look at Oregon had a bad loss. They haven't been playing well. Ohio State's rolling everybody. And I vehemently disagree with Jason. And by the way, everyone's entitled to their opinion. I disagreed with him on air. I told him that. I'm not disrespecting him on my own podcast. Nothing like that. Love Jason. Love working with him. But I can't really see the argument, especially this early. If you have two teams that have one loss apiece and one of those teams lost to the other one, I don't know how you have that team ahead of you. Because to me, that would set a very bad precedent going forward in college football. And the reason is pretty simple. If Oregon doesn't even get credit for beating Ohio State, if Ohio State still gets to pass Oregon after losing to them, I think it undermines the entire process. And it's really funny because I'm a little bit of a historian of sports. I think people forget. But if you go back to the BCS era, there was two or three examples where teams had head-to-head -head losses to another team. 
and that team ultimately ended up surpassing them in the poll at some point. The most famous instance of this, 2000. Miami loses early in the year to Washington. Florida State loses to Miami. Florida State jumps Miami in the final computers. They play Oklahoma in the national championship game. Oklahoma wins. Miami destroys Florida in the Sugar Bowl. And Miami believes, in it, and I've talked to those guys, I've talked to Santana Moss about it, a lot of them, that they were the best team in college football. So I, I, I truly believed that because we have the human element to it, that they would put Oregon ahead of Ohio State. But I do believe it was the right decision, especially this early in the process. If Oregon continues to sputter, if they can't get out of their own way, that changes the narrative. If Ohio State beats Michigan State 51-3 to when they play and then follow it up 63-6 to against Michigan, that changes the narrative like it did in 2014 when Ohio State jumped a bunch of teams. But right now, I am just telling you, it was the right decision by the committee. I do actually give them a lot of credit because I think that, that it's only fair if you're going to schedule these tough games, you have to be rewarded if you win them. Finally, let me just say this. Give the committee credit for something else. I thought Oklahoma at number eight was about right. Now, I would have had them a spot or two higher. I think they deserve to be ahead of Michigan. Um, but what I would also say about Oklahoma, the eye test is a real thing, and Oklahoma hasn't really looked that good. And we've gone through Oklahoma time and time and time again on this podcast. I'm not going to spend all that much time on it um, just because I, I don't think it, this, this, it really warrants that much time on it. But Oklahoma is an improving team, and they're a different team under Caleb Williams. But if you look at their wins... Uh, again, five points over Tulane, seven points over Nebraska, three points over West Virginia, six, six points over K-State, touchdown against Texas, uh, take care of TCU, take care of Kansas in a close game, and take care of Texas Tech. However, like I said, if you look at the Big 12 standings, Oklahoma's first place, Oklahoma State, Baylor tied for second, Iowa State tied uh, in third place. Oklahoma hasn't played any of the three best teams in the conference and right now, they have beaten a grand total of two teams that have winning records this season. Kansas State, which is 5-3, and three, and Texas Tech, which is 5-4. and four. Kansas is terrible. TCU just fired its coach. Texas Tech has a winning record, and they just fired their coach. Texas is 4-4, four and four, and West Virginia is 4-4 four and four as well. So those are my four big takeaways. Listen, I know it's all going to change. I know it's all going to – it'll be different, right? But at the same time, my four big takeaways are Alabama at number two makes no sense. Uh, disappointed that Cincinnati is at number five, but not surprised. Oregon over Ohio State is the right thing. And then finally, 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 Oklahoma at number eight is right. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. And I want to talk about our boy Dan Mullen. Told you a few weeks ago after the LSU game something isn't right there. Something isn't right there. He snapped at the media. I think he was justified, uh, or I think the media was justified in asking the questions that they did. So we're going to come back and talk about Dan Mullen. But you talk about an interesting situation that is going on right now in Gainesville. It's getting ugly pretty quick. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Let's uh, let's stay with college football and let's change subjects to what is quickly becoming uh, the latest update in the best rivalry in college football. No, I'm not talking Army Navy. I'm not talking Auburn, Alabama. I'm not talking Michigan, Ohio State. I'm talking about Dan Mullen versus everybody because Dan Mullen. I'll say this: 
Over the last couple weeks, the Florida fan base is starting to turn on him. He is struggling on the field. We will get to that in a minute. He is fighting perception. He is fighting the fan base. Now he is fighting the media because we had a wild dust-up with the media on Monday afternoon during his press availability. It led to Florida canceling all of their media availability all this week. And I'm just saying, it is getting weird in Gainesville. It is getting toxic in Gainesville. I don't think that he's on the quote-unquote hot seat. But it is very clear that he is not happy with the fans and the media. The media and the fans are not happy with him. And it does feel like it could eventually come to a head at some point. Before we get to what happened on Monday, I do think it's important to give a little context. And the context is this. Florida just hasn't been very good the last calendar year or so. Now, the early part of Dan Mullen's era, no doubt a success. Wins 10 games his first year, goes to the Peach Bowl. Wins 11 games his second year, goes to the Orange Bowl. And even last year, for all the for the way that it ended, he still won the SEC East and went to the SEC Championship game where he lost to a really good Alabama team. The problem is that if you take the end of last season with what we've seen this season, there is no doubt that there is a regression with this program. Dan Mullen lost his final three games last year to end the 2020 season. He lost to LSU as a 24-point underdog at home. He loses to Oklahoma or he loses to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Then he loses to Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Not good, but you understand you still won the SEC East, whatever. The problem is everything that has happened this year on top of what happened last year. So what happened this year? Well, we all kind of know. Florida sitting at 4-4. Four and four. Some of the losses are excusable. It's excusable to lose to Georgia, okay? Georgia's the number one team in the country. They're the number one team in the college football playoff rankings. There is no doubt they're the best team in the country, and there is no doubt that, as Dan Mullen even said in his own defense over the last couple days, yeah, we beat them last year. They beat us this year. That's what a rivalry is. Here's the bigger problem, though. Everything else that has happened this year, and again, dating back to last year, Florida is 4-4 four and four overall in 2020, or 2021, excuse me. That includes losses to Kentucky, a school that Florida fans, fair or not, believe that they should never lose to, and it includes getting stomped by LSU uh, at Death Valley in a noon kickoff in a game that was essentially uh, Coach O's goodbye swan song. You're, you're, you're playing a, a, a school that has literally already fired its coach, and we just don't know it yet, and you get run off the field by LSU. And so things are starting to get frustrating. And as part of that frustration, fans in the media are starting to try to figure out, okay, what is going wrong with Florida exactly? And the big thing that continues to come up when it comes to Dan Mullen is recruiting. If you listen to this podcast, I talked about it about two weeks ago, specifically after they lost to LSU. And I said, look, Dan Mullen, fair or not, and I actually do think this one is fair, is fighting a perception that he's not a recruiter. There is this perception that he's kind of the scheme, X's and O's, creative, offensive mind type. But then when it comes to getting down and dirty and getting the players that you need to win in the SEC, he is not getting the job done. And in defense of the media and in defense of the fans, they're actually right. If you look at the statistics, and we'll get into them in a minute, Dan Mullen is not recruiting at the level that you need to win at the highest levels of the SEC, and you cannot get away with that in the SEC. You get paid a lot of money to coach, run a program, develop players, and recruit. can criticize a lot of guys in this league for a lot of different things. Can't criticize Nick Saban for not being willing to recruit. You can't really criticize Nick Saban for anything. But Nick Saban loves to recruit. He's aggressive in recruiting. Um, Jimbo Fisher is a bulldog on the recruiting trail. Kirby Smart, bulldog on the recruiting trail. Even Coach O, Ed Orgeron. I know he's kind of the ex-current, former, sort of head coach of LSU. He could have developed players when they got to campus, but the one thing you can never criticize Coach O for, that guy 
got got. I don't want to say down and dirty because it makes it sound bad, but that guy was willing to recruit, willing to do, uh, you know, willing to work hard on the recruiting trail, understood the value of recruiting, and that was Dan Mullen's problem. That is Dan Mullen's problem, that fair or not, there is this perception that he doesn't like to recruit, that he's not very good at recruiting, and that he doesn't have a staff capable of recruiting. All of that finally brings us to this week and the, the blow-up that happened with Florida, the Florida media, Dan Mullen, and everything that happens. And it really started after the Georgia game, okay? So Florida plays Georgia. They lose 34-7. to And I will defend Dan Mullen. I don't know if anybody's beating Georgia this year. So I, I can't criticize him for losing to Georgia in the same way that Kentucky lost to Georgia, Auburn lost to Georgia. Everybody potentially outside of one or two teams in college football looks as though they could possibly lose to Georgia this year. But what was interesting was after the game, Kirby Smart, the Georgia coach, widely regarded as one of the best recruiters in college football. Now, there's some stuff about how stuff gets done down in Georgia. Not really my business, I'm just saying. But I bring it up to say, after the game, Kirby Smart was asked about recruiting. This is what Kirby Smart, not Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart, and I promise this all comes full circle and I explain what the dust-up is and why there's confusion. Kirby Smart asked about recruiting after the Georgia-Florida game. This is what Kirby Smart said. He said, guys, if you don't recruit, there's no coach out there who can out-coach recruiting. I don't care who you are. The best coach to ever coach the game better be a good recruiter because no coach is going to out-coach players. Anyone will tell you our defense is good because we've got good players. Spending time on the phone, spending time with people at your house, spending time with people on your campus, I'm not with my family when I'm doing that. My sacrifices so I can go and spend time with other people's family so that we can have good players. That's 25% evaluation, 50% recruiting, and 25% coaching. If you don't recruit guys, you've got no chance, okay? So that's Kirby Smart, head coach of the number one team in the country, admitting that at least 50% of his success is recruiting. At least 50% is simply, we go out and get good players, it's my job to coach them up and develop them, but it starts with the players, I'm in the background, it has more to do with them than me. Not a bad answer, by the way. Then there was Dan Mullen who was asked about the same thing on Monday at his press conference. Keep in mind, Florida's on a three-game losing streak. Keep in mind, Florida has, uh, is 4-4 four and four on the season. Keep in mind, Florida's only wins this year, this entire season. It's now November. They beat Florida Atlantic, South Florida, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. Those are their four wins. Fans, fans are frustrated. Media is trying to get to the bottom of it. A, fa a media member asked Dan Mullen about recruiting. Here is what Dan Mullen says. We're in season now. We'll do recruiting after the season. When it gets to be recruiting time, we can talk recruiting. End, period, walks off the podium, cancels media availability. Bing, bang, boom. You want to know what is going out of Florida right now. It is that. It is that quote from Dan Mullen basically saying, I don't have time for your dumb questions. I don't want to talk about recruiting. This is over, and I'm not going to be available the rest of the week. And let me just say this. First of all, in defense of Dan Mullen, I, I do think his quote was taken a little bit out of context. He didn't say that we're not recruiting right now. What he was saying was, no, we are not actually going to talk about recruiting now because I have other things that I have to worry about. But let me also say this. I thought it was bad. I thought it was dumb. I thought it lacked context and uh, understanding of the problem. And again, it just goes to what I say, man. There is something crazy going down. In Gainesville, it is getting toxic between the fan base, between the head coach, and everything in between. 
In terms of like the, co- the, 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 I guess what I would say when I think about this Dan Mullen situation, three things immediately come to mind when it comes to this Dan Mullen situation. First of all, even if you don't want to talk recruit, first of, all, first of all, let me even backtrack. I don't think it's a bad question, okay? My whole thing, you guys know me. I will criticize other people in the media if I believe that they are incorrect in how they are handling their jobs or doing their jobs. I don't think when you're four and four, and statistically, you're not recruiting at a very high level. Florida currently has one top 100 player committed. Georgia has uh, five or six, I believe, if my math is correct. And then on top of that, Georgia has 16 five stars on their roster right now. Florida has three. And so, one, it's not a dumb question. Florida is struggling. Florida is disappointing. The media is trying to figure out why because ultimately the media works for the fans. You guys as fans, uh, watch our YouTube videos listen to our podcast, subscribe to our websites, whatever we do to make a living, you guys are the fuel behind it. And it's our job to get you the information that you want. And right now, Florida fans want to know why are we struggling? And it's our job in the media to ask the question. So I will criticize media members if they ask a dumb question. One, I think it's a completely fair question. Two, even if Dan Mullen hates the question, there's a, there's a, there's a right way to answer it and a wrong way to answer it. And he just did not answer it correctly. There is a great way to answer that question. One, you could just answer it like Kirby Smart. It's all about recruiting. We need to be better. We're va- like There are so many different ways you can answer that. And even if you don't directly address it, even if you don't want to talk about it, there's a right way to answer that question if you're Dan Mullen, right? Just say something like, guys, we're four and four. Nobody is more frustrated than me. Everything is unacceptable right now, and everything is being evaluated, including recruiting. Our recruiting needs to be better. That's not a direct shot at the players on this roster. They're playing hard, but we don't have enough depth. We don't have. Well, clearly, we're not on the level of floor of Georgia. We need to be better in all that. There's so many different ways that you can answer that without just being a jerk and cutting it off. But I think where most fans are frustrated, and I've seen a lot of media people push back, and I actually think they're right on this, is that I do believe that this might just signal that Dan Mullen doesn't get it. Either he doesn't get it or he doesn't care because, again, if he got it, if he understood that at the end of the day, as great as my schemes are and I draw up all these cool plays on a piece of paper and a a bar napkin and we go to the bar and I move around salt shakers to show a guy, if you don't have the players, it doesn't matter. And so that, I think, is the concern of the fans, and this is why the media is going so hard after Dan Mullen. It's not because his answer was inappropriate. It's not because his answer sounded ignorant. It's because his answer made it sound like he doesn't even understand what the issue is, which is that enough emphasis is not going in on recruiting. Now, maybe it is. Maybe behind the scenes, Dan Mullen and his staff are doing the the right job and doing what needs to be done to get the right players into this program. I will say, Dan Mullen has not had a ton of success recruiting high school players relative to Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, LSU. He has done a great job in the portal, though. So we do have to give Dan Mullen some credit. It's not as though he's not recruiting at all. But again, it speaks to the fact that he doesn't even believe that this is a problem. And if he does not believe this is a problem, this is not going to get fixed because clearly Florida doesn't have good enough players because they're getting punked at the line of scrimmage by LSU that already fired their coach. They're getting punked at the line of scrimmage by Kentucky. They're getting destroyed by Georgia, and it's not going to get any better. And so what I would say very simply to just kind of wrap this up, I don't want to go on forever on Dan Mullen, but what I would ultimately say at the end of the day, there are times where I think the fans are out of line. There are times where I think the media is out of line. In this particular case, I think the coach is out of line. You have to understand your fan base. You have to understand the responsibilities that come with being an $8 million a year head coach in the SEC. And part of that is a couple things. You have to win games. 
if you don't win games, you have to answer the tough questions with dignity. You can't be disrespectful to reporters for asking fair questions. You can't be short with reporters. You can't get mad at the fans because the fans want answers to why your team is struggling so much. And then at the end of the day, you got to go win games. And so what I will also say in defense of Dan Mullen as I wrap here is they do have a very manageable schedule going forward. And what I will say about Dan Mullen is that this felt even in the preseason. And I said it on this show. I said, I think Florida missed their window in the SEC East. I said, Georgia's going to be awesome this year. Kentucky's on the rise. Tennessee's kind of interesting. By the way, Alabama A&M, they aren't slowing down in the West. This felt like a 9-3, and 8-4 type team coming into the year. And so I only bring that up just to say that the schedule does break pretty nicely. They got South Carolina this weekend. They got Samford uh, next week at home. They have at Missouri and Florida State to close the season. That feels like it very well could be a 4-0 finish. You go 8-4, and you win four games going into the offseason, into bowl season, you win a bowl game, everybody forgets it. But at the same time, it is clear things are not good. It is clear things need to be fixed. And if they aren't fixed, Dan Mullen needs to take accountability. So I'm not going to defend him. You guys know. If I thought the coach was right and the media and the fans were wrong, I would tell you. But this is one where, as a coach, you got to own up. You got to take responsibility. You got to answer the tough questions. Disappointing from Dan Mullen. Best thing he could do, by the way. You're at South Carolina this weekend, 7.30 kickoff SEC Network. Go out and get a W, baby. Just go, as, as Al Davis just said, just win, baby. Just win. It'll make everybody feel a lot better. But this is getting to be a very weird situation at Florida. All right, with that said, let's want take one more final break. We will come back. We'll actually talk a little college hoops. Kofi Coburn suspended. Shame on you, NCAA. And Nate Oates, Alabama, a recruiting juggernaut. Big week for SEC basketball. Cleaning up on the recruiting portal, or the recruiting trail, excuse me. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, I am back. Final time today. Good to be back. Good to be back. And what I want to do now is I do want to get to two college hoops stories, and then we'll get to where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong, uh, because college hoops is coming. It's coming fast. I cannot believe that we are literally a week away from college hoops. Actually, before we even get to the two pieces of news, let me just kind of lay out my vision for what I will be doing college hoops-wise over the next couple weeks here on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, because as I said, next Tuesday... We are going to have games. And so I was thinking about it. I was thinking, you know, maybe Monday's show, I do a segment on college hoops. I give my national player of the year, blah, 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 blah. I then thought about it a little bit, and I decided this is what I'm going to do. Today's show, we're going to talk about the news of the day, and there is some college hoops stuff. Friday's show, we are going to do the standard Friday preview. And then Monday, we are going to do reaction to college football rather than trying to force in college basketball. What I am instead going to do is do a special college basketball preview show on Mon- on Tuesday. It will drop early Tuesday morning, and I will hit you with all my college hoop stuff to start the season. I'll give you my final four, my national player of the year. We will also have, by the way, Hunter Dickinson, the star of Michigan basketball. He will be joining us on Tuesday, and it'll get us ready for the season. Wednesday show, I will be up late recording because Tuesday night is the Champions Classic, so I will have immediate reaction to the Champions Classic. And then from there, it's go time. And so for people who are new to the show, 
Obviously, for the next few weeks, the focus is still going to be more college football-centric with all the big stories in college football, but I will sprinkle in college basketball as necessary, and anybody who loves college basketball knows those first two or three weeks, there's a lot of really important stuff happening. You have the Champions Classic, the Maui Invitational, which is actually in Vegas this year. I might go. Uh, the Big Tw- the Big Ten ACC Challenge. There are a lot of really important games early in the season, and so I'll figure out over time how I'm going to incorporate college basketball into this show. Obviously, as college football remains relevant, we will continue to talk college football. But I do want to start getting some college basketball because the season is here. You know I love college basketball, and I hate to say it. Let's be honest. Nobody talks college hoops better than your boy Torres. But speaking of college hoops, there have actually been two pretty relevant stories in college basketball since I last recorded. One of them really cool, which we'll talk about in a minute, and one of them which is kind of crappy. And so let's start with the crappy one first, and it is the story that Kofi Coburn, star center at the University of Illinois, has been suspended by the first for the first three games of the season by the NCAA. And I'm going to get into all the details in a minute. I'm going to explain what's going on, but let me just say this. Shame on you, NCAA. I'm not Mr. Criticize NCAA for everything guy, but this is one that they easily could have sat on the sidelines for and probably should have, and let me explain why. So obviously, if you listen to this show, if you're listening to this segment, you know who Kofi Coburn is, but for people who kind of, you know, the, the brain is foggy, you kind of remember college basketball last year, but you don't really remember it, this is what you need to know. So Kofi Coburn was, by any tangible measurement, probably one of the five to seven best players in college basketball last year, basically averaged like 18 points, nine and a half rebounds for one of the best teams in the country, the University of Illinois, which got a number one seed in the tournament and also won the Big Ten tournament last year. Many thought they were actually the favorite in the NCAA tournament. They lose to Loyola of Chicago, but it doesn't change the fact that Kofi Coburn is a flat out college basketball star. After the season, he enters the NBA draft. I think his intention at that time was to stay in the NBA draft uh, late March, early April, and then time goes on. The draft, as you remember, gets pushed back, which means that the process gets pushed back. We get to late June, early July, and he announces that he will return to college basketball but enter the transfer portal. We talked about it a lot on this show at that time. I was led to believe that he was genuinely interested in transferring to Kentucky. If Kentucky had officially extended real interest in having him in the program, I think he might be there right now. But Kentucky was kind of full. They said, we're not going to take on another player. And instead, Kofi Coburn makes the decision to return to Illinois. Whether he ended up in Kentucky, Illinois, that doesn't really matter. He is at Illinois right now. Here is where the issue comes in. Apparently, during the NBA draft process, in June, Kofi Coburn sold some of his Illinois-issued merchandise, okay? Um, one, I don't really know who's buying triple, quadruple XL uh, uh, Kofi Coburn t-shirts because that man is huge. Uh, you can get some cool Illinois gear. I don't know how much, I don't know how much uh, of Kofi Coburn's gear is going to fit the average person, but he apparently sold some of his gear, assuming, of course, that he was going to stay in the NBA draft, and instead he returns to college basketball. And in part, and I think he's even talked about this in interviews, in part it was because of name, image, and likeness. He basically said, look, I can go make some money playing pro basketball, but I might have to go to the G League. I might have to go overseas. Let me come back to college basketball where I know I can make some money. Yes, I sold some gear, whatever, blah, blah, blah. We'll get into that in a minute. But the bottom line is the rules are changing. I can take advantage of them as a very marketable college basketball star. Well, as it turns out, by technicality, in June, before he had even officially announced 
that he was going to return to college basketball, he decides to sell his gear, which yes, by technicality is an NCAA rules violation, but what I would also say, if he had done it two to three weeks later, would not have been an NCAA rules violation at all, and so shame on the NCAA. And before we get into it, like a couple things, before we get into too many details, a couple things. One, you guys know I am not Mr. Crush the NCAA at every turn possible, okay? If you break the rules, I've always said this on this show for years, if you break the rules, how, no matter how stupid the rules are, you have to be punished accordingly, and I don't think in most cases that is particularly unfair. I use the analogy all the time. You could drive 58 and a 55. It may be dumb if that cop pulls you over, but if the cop pulls you over by technicality, you broke the rules. And then by technicality, Kofi Coburn did break the rules. He sold some of his gear before name image likeness was allowed in place. Had he done it a month later, it wouldn't have been an NCAA rules violation. That is also where my issue is with the NCAA, is the NCAA right now is, by all accounts, we all know, you don't need me to tell you, it is in the middle of a crisis. We don't know what the future is going to look like. We don't know what the, um, you know, what, what the rules are going to be. Is, are, are these elite schools going to break off from the NCAA? Are they going to do their own things? And right now, the one thing I would say about the NCAA, the best thing they can do is just sit on the sidelines. Nobody's really mad at the NCAA. Nobody's complaining. Kids are making money off name, image, likeness. Players can transfer. Even if you're the most staunch, the NCAA is awful human being, and there are a lot of them out there. I am not one of them. It's kind, of, it's kind of hard to pick apart the NCAA right now. Literally every rule that people complained about, they just changed. They were like, we don't want the bad PR. Transfer when you want. Uh, name, image, likeness is fine. Whatever. We're staying out of it. So why are you going after Kofi Coburn for this particular situation? He broke a rule that no longer exists. That is one. Two, beyond that, I will just say from the NCAA's perspective, I don't see what the win here is for them, okay? Um, I don't see what the win here is for them in this particular situation, right? I talk about this all the time. I talk. What is the win? Well, when you do something, what is the win in it? And, and, and is the any negative feedback you are going to get overridden by the, the, the correctness of the decision or the whatever, right? A lot of you are parents. Sometimes you don't want to punish your kids, but the win of showing them discipline is more important than not being liked for an hour. Well, in the case with the NCAA, I, I, another example, by the way, a sports example. I used this with Dabo Sweeney a few years ago. Remember the story where Kelly Bryant transferred in the middle of the season Clemson wins the national championship, and Dabo refuses to give him a championship ring. And for like two weeks, there was nothing to talk about, so everybody yelled and screamed about Dabo. That was a perfect example. There's no win in holding back the kid's national championship ring. Just give him his national championship ring, move on. And for the NCAA, I feel like that's the right decision. Yes, by technicality, this kid broke the rules. Yes, by technicality, if uh, yes, by technicality, he broke the rules. Yes, by technicality, he should be punished. But what is the win here? Because a couple things. No one is in favor of your decision, okay? There's no one publicly that's like, well, you know, he was only selling gear, but you got to punish him. He broke the rules. What did he get? 500 bucks for the gear? I mean, we got kids making hundreds of thousands of dollars on NIL deals. This kid got probably a couple hundred bucks for some sweaty gym shorts and you're freaking out about it? Beyond that, I know that, it, beyond that, nobody's compl nobody publicly is defending you. And I'd add this, 
I don't think anybody is outraged, right? Like, it'd be one thing if he broke an egregious rule and behind the scenes coaches are fuming. Like, let's just say hypothetically, let's just say we find out that Kofi Coburn in a pre-NIL era had received $500,000, had had received a bag of cash to go to Illinois or a bag of cash to return to Illinois. That's a lot different than uh, a couple hundred bucks for uh, uh, some sweaty gym clothes. So I'm going off and off and off here. But what makes things worse, and this I brought this up. I was the first one to bring it up. I saw a lot of people bring it up after I did. What makes things worse is that there is a very prominent coach that is also suspended for three games. And so I brought this up. But we do realize Mark Few got popped for a DUI uh, this summer. And Mark Few is suspended for three games at Gonzaga, which includes two exhibitions and one regular season game. And he will be back for their first regular season game, excuse me, or their, their second regular season game, their first marquee game against Texas. Mark Few will be back in the building for that game. Kofi Coburn suspended for three games, all in the regular season, for selling gym shorts. And so, thankfully, I think people are so caught up in football that they're not even really paying attention to this. But what I would just say is it's an awful look for the NCAA and those like myself. I saw my buddy Rob Douster tweet the same thing. That see the hypocrisy between the NCAA, by the way, not even stepping in to punish Mark Few. They left that up to the school. School, you decide if Mark Few wants to be punished. But for for, for DUI. But Kofi Coburn's going to sell some gym shorts? Give me a break. It's a bad look for the NCAA. This kid should not be suspended. At the end of the day, they're not playing anybody. They're playing Jackson State, uh, Arkansas State, and Marquette, who's going to be terrible this year in year one of the Shaka Smart era. But I just do not think in any way, shape, or form this is a good look. All right, finally, let's wrap with one more college basketball story before we get out of here. And how about this? Busy day on Alabama for the show. We talked about uh, we talked about Alabama being number two in the college football playoff poll earlier in the show. Now we have to wrap on Alabama basketball. And it wasn't that long ago that I would not even talk Alabama basketball on this show because it was basically irrelevant. Outside of a nice little run with Colin Sexton there for one year where they made the second round of the NCAA tournament, we never really talked Bama on this show. I don't even think I was doing this podcast when Colin Sexton was at Alabama. But the point is Alabama basketball was mostly off the radar. Nate Oates shows up. Nate Oates immediately has success, and in year two, Nate Oates wins the SEC regular season title, SEC tournament title, and of course makes the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2004 at Alabama. So why am I talking about Alabama today? It is because this week, Nate Oates had a recruiting day for the ages in what is quickly becoming a recruiting year for the ages at Alabama, okay? So my job is to always keep you updated What's going on in college football? What's going on in college basketball? Sometimes we'll talk something else. Well, let me tell you this. Monday was a very busy day in recruiting, especially at Alabama. First of all, around, I don't know, I think it was 1 p.m. Central Time, 11 p.m. Pacific Time, Brandon Miller, five-star wing, about six foot eight, 200 pounds, needs to put on a little bit of weight, made his college announcement. He was down to Alabama, Kansas, Tennessee State, and a few pro options. And what did he choose? Drum roll, please. Did he choose Kansas? No. Did he choose one of those pro options? No. No, he chose to play for Nate Oates at Alabama. He is the second five-star prospect that has committed to Alabama in this recruiting cycle, joining Jaden Bradley, who committed to Alabama just a few weeks ago. We talked about him on the Aaron Torres podcast. And then, as if that wasn't enough, as if Nate Oates wasn't already busy celebrating 
the commitment of Brandon Miller later that afternoon around, I don't know, 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific, something like that. I can't even remember the exact time. Drum roll, please. Noah Clowney, six foot nine forward out of South Carolina, made his college announcement. And you could probably guess where I'm going with this. He chose Alabama. Noah Clowney, top 60 prospect, power forward from the state of South Carolina, chooses Alabama. So in one day, Alabama received commitments from two top 60 prospects, and the one five-star, Brandon Miller, is the second five-star, the second potential McDonald's All-American, and the second top 20 prospect to commit to Alabama in this recruiting cycle. Let me just say this. Nate Oates is on a recruiting bender for the ages, and the SEC is on a recruiting bender for the ages, and so let's talk about it, and let's break it down. First of all, in terms of the players, I say it all the time. I mean, these kids are perfect fits, right? And I give so much credit to all of these coaches for finding kids that fit who they are and what their program is about. Calipari, one and done. Come here. Be ready to compete right away. Be ready to play right away because I only plan on having you for one year. Um, You know, I'm a UConn alum. Dan Hurley, I've never talked to him about this. I've tried to get him on the podcast a million times. It's never worked out. He is more of a developmental guy. If you want to come here and be out in six months, this probably isn't the place for you. And the thing about Alabama, the thing that we learned last year, they are going to play fast, they are going to shoot a lot of threes, and they are going to be hyper-athletic. And so why do I bring it up? It is because these two players signify exactly who Alabama is and exactly what they want to be under Nate Oates. Brandon Miller, as I said, six foot eight. He is a future NBA player, probably a lottery pick, probably a one-and-done type talent, but he is a big six foot eight super athletic, can get to the rim, can shoot, can do all of the things that you want in a modern small forward, kind of his size, his length, the need to put on weight. He reminds me of kind of Brandon Ingram when Brandon Ingram was at Duke. And then Noah Clowney is six foot nine, plays close to the rim, but he's kind of that new age guy too. He can step out, he can shoot from a distance, but he's really good around the rim, but is not a plodding, slow, big, he is quick, he is athletic, he is quick twitch, shot blocker, rim runner, uh, quick putback, quick jumps, whatever. And these are two guys that fit Alabama perfectly. And so first of all, what I will say, it continues a recruiting run for the ages of Alabama. I talked about it a few weeks ago when Jaden Bradley committed, but if you start to think about all of the guys that have committed to Alabama just under Nate Oates, it is absolutely incredible. Now, all these guys are not high school players, but if you go back and look at what Nate Oates has done, it is actually pretty incredible, okay? So two years ago, he brings in Javon Quinterly, a McDonald's All-American who had previously played at Villanova. He is a transfer. Javon Quinterly sits out. Last year he plays, but the bottom line is Javon Quinterly, McDonald's All-American. This past year, he goes out, signs Namari Burnett via the transfer portal, former McDonald's All-American who unfortunately will not play this year. I forgot to mention, by the way, Josh Primo, five-star guard who was was drafted by the San Antonio Spurs. J.D. Davison, who is a a McDonald's All-American from the 2021 class. So even if you just take the guards, 2018 McDonald's All-American with Javon Quinterly transferred in, played this past season, preseason All-SEC player. Uh, You have on top of that Namari Burnett, former McDonald's All-American. He's a transfer. J.D. Davison, he's a transfer. Now you have two potential McDonald's All-Americans in Brandon Miller and Jaden Bradley in what is quickly becoming a top 10 recruiting class, and they might not be done. 
On top of that, I, it's also worth noting, uh, brought in some other good players over the years as well. Charles Badeko, who's a five-star forward who was in this most recent recruiting class. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that Nate Oates is recruiting at an insane level. And what I would also say is, I don't think we're going to have time for where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. This is something I talked about in year one of the Nate Oates era. If you go back and listen to the podcast sometime in January of 2020, I vividly remember this. Alabama played Auburn at home at Coleman Coliseum. I believe they lost the game. Auburn was really good that year. It was the year they were coming off of a Final Four. But I bring it up because Alabama lost the game. NATO's first year, they would have been on the outside looking in of the NCAA tournament. But I remember at the time saying, well, wait a second now. And I talked about it on the podcast. This wasn't some thought, abstract thought I had in my head. I said, they play fast. They shoot a lot of threes. This guy is going to clean up in recruiting. And this is exactly what's going on. Number 12 ranked class in 2020, according to 24-7 Sports. Again, that included Josh Primo, who played one year in college basketball. Uh, Alex Tishu, who's coming off of a uh, red shirt this past season. Top, number 12 class in the class of 2020. Number 14 class last season in 2021. And they now have a top 10 class in 2022. This is a credit to Nate Oates. One fearless, aggressive in recruiting, in the portal. This is a guy that knows what he wants from the types of players that he wants, how he wants to get them. I think he does a great job of balancing, bringing in older players, more experienced players through the portal, as well as talented young players that he believes he can develop quickly. And I do believe that Brandon Miller, the, guard, the, the wing that I mentioned a minute ago, is one of those players. Finally, what I would say is this. About four or five years ago, I started this thing called the SEC Basketball Revolution. I started calling it the SEC Basketball Revolution because I saw something that no one else could see at the time. And I got made fun of and I got criticized on social media and all that stuff. But about six, seven, uh, probably about five years ago, I noticed something. I said, all these SEC schools are bringing in really good coaches. This was back then, it was Rick Barnes at Tennessee, Bruce Pearl at Auburn, Ben Howland at Mississippi State. Uh, I said Rick Barnes, Frank Martin for a time was, was a really highly coveted coach. Obviously, in more recent years, we have Nate Oates at Alabama. We have Eric Musselman at Arkansas. We have, you can criticize him all you want. I think he's an, actually a pretty good coach, is Will Wade at LSU. We have Mike, oh no, Mike White's not very good. But okay, the rest of them are good. Nate Oates, Eric Musselman, Will Wade, John Calipari, obviously is the dean of college basketball coaches in the SEC, on and on and on and on and on. So why do I bring it up? It is because about five, six years ago, I said, the SEC is rising, baby. You can argue it. You can debate it. You can call it a football conference. You can call it a basketball conference, a baseball conference. This basketball product is going to be really good. And now I look at it, and the amount of talent coming into the SEC is just staggering, okay? So first of all, last year, you had a situation where Kentucky wasn't even good, and you had Arkansas and Alabama emerge. Alabama makes a Sweet 16. Uh, Arkansas makes an Elite Eight. I should mention down year for Auburn, down year for um, you know uh, Kentucky, as I just said. But you look now, Tennessee, by the way, did not live up to preseason expectations. You look now, first of all, the preseason poll has five SEC teams, Kentucky, Arkansas, Alabama, Auburn, and Tennessee. LSU is right on the cusp. Mississippi State is right on the cusp. And then you look at recruiting, and it is absolutely unbelievable. So I looked it up just for fun. Right now, of the top 31 prospects committed, and I know it's an, it's an abstract number, but just stick with me here. Of the top 31 prospects committed, 
11 of them. No, 10 of them. 10 of them, I'm sorry. 10 of the top 31 high school prospects in America are committed to SEC schools. That is insane. There is no conference that is even close, and even the conferences that are close, all those recruits basically go to one place. Like, the ACC has a bunch of top 30, 40 recruits. Three of them are going to Duke. Three of the top 10 high school players in America are going to Duke. Louisville doesn't have any. Georgia Tech doesn't have any. Notre Dame doesn't have any. Whatever. Um, UCLA in the Pac-12 is cleaning up right now. They got a Dem Bona the other day. UCLA is the only one outside of maybe Oregon that is cleaning up in the Pac-12. USC is doing good as well. The SEC across the board is monstrous in recruiting. 10 of the top 31 prospects, and they're spread out all around the conference, okay? So I looked it up. Of the top 31 prospects, Kentucky has three, Shaden Sharp, Chris Livingston, and Sky Clark. Arkansas has two. We've talked about them, Jordan Walsh, and also Nick Smith Jr., who almost didn't get eligible. We have... Uh, <laughs> Nick Smith Jr., if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can look it up. Alabama has Jaden Bradley and Brandon Miller, as I just talked about. And LSU, Auburn, and U, uh, Florida have one each. And so I just bring this up to say, I was saying this three, four years ago. I said, SEC basketball is coming. You can argue it. You can debate it. You can fight me on it. But it is coming. And now it is really coming to fruition as... Alabama has picked up two top 60 commitments in one day, including five-star Brandon Miller. And I'll tell you this, they may just be getting started. SEC basketball is going to be unreal this year. All right, I think that is it for this episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I have talked long enough. It is time for me to get out of here. Before we do, I want to remind you a couple things. One, if you like the college basketball talk, we will have a full college basketball preview show on Tuesday of next week so make sure that you are subscribed so that gets sent right to your feed also if you like any team specifically remember we have started team specific social media accounts Torres on UK for Kentucky Torres on the Hogs for Arkansas Torres on the Vols for Tennessee Torres on Bama for Alabama where we will obviously be talking about we will obviously be sharing this content talking about Alabama basketball on today's show also, we have Torres on Indiana, which is the IU Hoosiers for those of you who are fans. And we should be starting UConn here very soon, so stay tuned for that. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, make sure to, in addition to all that, subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, I just said. What else am I missing here? Uh, uh, all the podcast platforms, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, baby. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Also, the YouTube channel, blowing up blowing up make sure you're following there that is all for today's show shout out to Tori craig shout out to rachel who hates my voice i will be back on friday more college basketball and football love you guys i'll be back it is ryan here and i have a question for you what do you do when you win 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.